Hey there, Crimeholics. Welcome back. It is your host, Kenzie. I'm here with another Missing Monday episode. I hope everybody had a really great weekend. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created because at any given time, 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. While some of them are found or live or deceased, the majority of them are still missing today. It is my goal here with Crimeholics to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that I can. On this episode of Missing Mondays, I'll be bringing you the disappearance of 16-year-old Jennifer Fay, who went missing on November 14th, 1989. Jennifer and Lynn Fay grew up with her mother and siblings in Brockton, Massachusetts. Everyone in Jennifer's life said that she was a happy, lively girl who always had a smile on her face, was the life of the party, and could light up an entire room. But she always was known as a bit of a wild child. Her younger sister looks back on memories of her and Jennifer sitting on their front porch as little girls. Jennifer would always share her popsicles with her little sisters. She said the two of them would eat the kind of popsicles that had the two pieces attached and you could break them in half. She said Jennifer would never finish her entire popsicle, so she would break it in half and give her little sister the other piece. She went on to say that her and Jennifer had a typical sibling relationship. Being five years apart, it was a little hard for her and Jennifer. They would often pick on each other, but at the end of the day, the two of them had a strong bond and they really loved each other. Other friends and family in Jennifer's life went on to say that she was the kind of girl who did not know a stranger. She had tons of friends. She was just the kind of person who trusted everybody, always looked at the good in people, and just loved being a social butterfly. When Jennifer was 16 years old, her parents began to go through the divorce process. Her family all believed that she was struggling with the divorce, which is why she would sometimes act out. Her mom explained that Jennifer often struggled in school and she preferred to be a working teenager. She said that Jennifer had to repeat the ninth grade three times and on the third time she finally just gave up and went to work. Her mom did not fight her on this because she knew how bad Jennifer struggled in school and was just glad that she had some type of really good work ethic outside of school. On November 14th, 1989, it was reported to be an unseasonably warm November day. It was somewhere in the high 60s and low 70s. On this particular day, Jennifer was planning on attending a party that was going to be held in her neighborhood. This was not something that was unusual for Jennifer or her neighborhood. According to her family, their specific neighborhood often held several different parties throughout the week and on the weekends. Earlier in the day on the 14th, Jennifer's mother had asked her to watch her younger siblings for her. Jennifer really did not want to do it and she kind of had copped an attitude with her mom, but her mom did not give her choice and told her that she was going to stay home that evening and watch her younger siblings. But Jennifer, being the typical rebellious teenager she was, she got one of her cousins to stay behind and watch her younger siblings for her. Her cousin stated that on the night of the 14th, Jennifer had been out with some friends and eventually decided to make her way over to the party in her neighborhood. But before she would do that, she stopped back into her house to check on her younger siblings and her cousin, and she wanted to grab her jacket as it started to get really cold that night. Her cousin said that when Jennifer came into the house... She was there for just a few minutes to grab her Iron Maiden jacket that she wore all the time. She said that Jennifer asked her if she wanted to come attend the party with her, but she tells her that she can't go. She needed to stay there, watch Jennifer's siblings, and then later that night she needed to head straight home. 
Jennifer told her, okay, I'll see you later, and she left the house, and that was the very last time that Jennifer was ever seen alive. When Jennifer's cousins and siblings were questioned later on about that specific night, they stated to the law enforcement that nothing seemed off with Jennifer and that they were kind of nonchalant about the entire situation with her just coming into the house very quickly and leaving again because this was very typical for Jennifer's behavior. They said had they known that that would be the very last time that they ever saw Jennifer, they would have handled the situation very differently. After grabbing her jacket and saying bye to her siblings and her cousin, Jennifer makes her way out of her house and down the street to the party. Multiple witnesses from that night say that they saw Jennifer at the party that evening, but it was never known if Jennifer left the party alive. On the night of the 14th, Jennifer's mother, Dottie, calls over to her home to check on Jennifer and her other kids. She said she made this call because there was just something in her gut that did not sit right with her. She says now that she believes it was her mother's intuition. She makes the call home, and when Jennifer's cousin answers the phone, it throws her off a little bit on why her cousin answered the phone and Jennifer did not. She goes on to ask for Jennifer, and her cousin tells her that Jennifer asked if she could watch the kids for her so she could go to a party down the street. This did not sit right with Dottie in her gut at all. She knew that something was off, so she left the location she was at and went straight home to her kids. The next morning on November 15, 1989, when it rolls around, Jennifer is not home when her mom wakes up that morning. This was not an unusual situation when it came to Jennifer. Again, she was a very social teenager who hung out with friends and partied, and her mom thought that maybe Jennifer had just stayed the night at a friend's house. But that mother intuition would begin to change very quickly as one day would turn into two, two would turn into three, and three turned into four, and her daughter had still not returned home. Jennifer did have a history of running away from home. She would often run away when she would get into arguments with her mom, but Dottie says that these runaways were not a typical runaway. They were just Jennifer going to one of her girlfriend's houses in the neighborhood, staying the night to be able to blow off some steam, and she would return home in a day or two. Dottie also said that Jennifer would always call her when she made it to her friend's home to let her know that she had made it home safely. In this particular situation, none of these had happened. Jennifer just disappeared and her mom knew that this was off. As day five rolls around, her family reaches out to police and let them know that Jennifer has not been seen in five days and that something is off and they need help filing a missing persons report. Dottie says that the police do not take her daughter's disappearance seriously at all because they know that Jennifer has a big history of running away but they tell daddy not to touch anything inside of jennifer's bedroom and that they would bring the dogs over to try and see if they can pick up the scent to hopefully locate jennifer however the police never show up and when i say they never show up they did not look for jennifer or question anybody in her disappearance until several years after she disappeared her family got absolutely no help in the beginning from law enforcement because they knew that Jennifer had a history of running away. They just continued to peg her as a runaway teenager instead of actually looking into her disappearance. Her family was very, very much on their own when it came to trying to find Jennifer, but they were not shy when it came to questioning people in the local area about what happened to Jennifer the night of the 14th. Her entire family believes that whatever took place that night, whoever is responsible is somebody within their local area or 
or somebody within her friend group. Dottie started questioning all of Jennifer's friends who she hung out with very often and people that she was very close to. She started questioning them about what took place that night and she said that she knew something was very off because when she would question them about Jennifer, they would shut down and refuse to speak to her. These were kids who often came over to Dee's house and would hold conversations with her very regularly and all of a sudden they were shut down and it would ignore her. She said she knew something was off even further because not a single one of these kids would ever call or come over and ask about Jennifer. Not, have you guys heard from Jennifer? Is there any new updates? Is there any new leads? Nothing. It's as if just Jennifer disappeared and they stopped caring. Her mom just couldn't understand why. Her mom kind of felt if they weren't guilty, they wouldn't be so closed off and shut down. But she didn't know if that they were responsible or if that they knew who did it and they were scared to pipe up with any type of information. At the time of Jennifer's disappearance, she had a best friend named Kristen. Kristen lived just a few homes down from her, and the two of the girls hung out every single day. Kristen was one of the girls that was very shut down after Jennifer disappeared. She worked at a local market there in Brockton, not too far from Dottie's home. All of Jennifer's family had frequented this market very often, and when they would go in there, every one of them would carry on a normal, friendly conversation with Kristen. She was basically a part of their family. She would never not talk to Jennifer's family when they came in, but after Jennifer's disappearance, everything had changed. When her family would go into the market, Kristen would keep her head down and pretend like she didn't even notice them. It really broke her family's heart because this was Jennifer's best friend who was so close to their family and now that their daughter is gone, she just wants nothing to do with them. They had such a hard time wrapping their head around it and understanding why is the one person that we expected to come around so often just pretend like we don't matter anymore and that her best friend is just not missing. With Jennifer's family basically investigating her disappearance on their own, a lot of rumors come about and theories about what happened to Jennifer that night start circulating around their neighborhood. One of those theories about what may have happened to Jennifer comes from a home just doors down from where she lived. The locals within the neighborhood said that there was a family who lived in the neighborhood and they were allowing this girl to live in their home. It was said that this girl was mentally challenged and had moved in with them sometime before Jennifer disappeared and the way that it was explained as if the homeowner had custody of this woman. The exact age of this woman has always been unknown, but it has always been said that she was of age, but because of her being mentally challenged, she functioned at a very young age, almost like a very young child. The homeowner of this home was named Diana Natali. She had a couple of sons who were really good friends with Jennifer. It has never been said the exact reason why Diana had this woman move into their home, but rumors speculated that it was because the woman had been receiving a social security check that Diana wanted to be able to collect and cash. From what I have read about Diana Natali is that she is a very vile human and that she is just downright evil. It was said that Diana was abusing the woman that lived with her. There were several people in the neighborhood who had went into Diana's home throughout the years and saw this woman who was locked inside of a room inside of their basement. Inside this room, this woman was only allowed to have a mattress and a blanket on the floor, and it was said that she was given a bucket that she was allowed to use the bathroom in. 
She was not allowed to use the bathroom anywhere else with inside the Natalie home. This woman was then forced to go outside into the woods and dump the bucket every time it needed to be done. As if this was not bad enough, there was multiple people who said that they witnessed Diana heavily abusing this woman and allowing other people to abuse and sexually assault her. These rumors turned out to be extremely true. Years after Jennifer's disappearance, in 1993, Diana Natalie and a man who was also living in her home at the time were both charged with kidnap, assault with a deadly weapon, and various other charges relating to the abuse of this woman. Some of the court documents showed that this woman was forced to do household chores around their home, and if she did not do them up to their standards, she was severely beaten by both Diana Natalie and this man. The abuse that this poor woman went through at the hands of Diana and Natalie and this man are far worse than anyone could ever imagine. The only reason that it was ever figured out is because one of Diana and Natalie's sons held a party at their home. They took people that attended the party down into the basement and one of these people walked into the room in the basement where she was being held and saw that the woman was laying on a mattress with just a blanket and the room smelled terrible. The person that walked into the room left the house completely completely shook up and in just total shock and called the authorities right away. When the authorities went over to the Natalie home, they found the woman in the room in the basement and they were in shock at the condition she was in. She was extremely malnourished and she was covered head to toe in bruises and lacerations. Now, this is how Jennifer's disappearance ties into this entire story. It was rumored that Jennifer had went over to the Natalie home that night and had witnessed something really horrible happen to this woman, and she had threatened to tell someone. People in the neighborhood believe that Diana Natalie and this man that lived in her home are likely the ones responsible for Jennifer's disappearance. After looking into the background of Diana Natalie and this man that lived in her home, the possibility is really high. Both Diana Natalie and this man have huge criminal records. The man has a criminal history for running a brothel and forcing women into sex work. He also had a huge criminal history of drug offenses, assault, and assault with a deadly weapon. Diana Natalie is no saint. She also had several charges when it came to sex work and assault with a deadly weapon. And knowing what they have done to this poor woman, murdering a 16-year-old girl doesn't seem too far out of their reach. But there has never been any evidence to make this theory stick. Another theory in Jennifer's disappearance is that her friend Kristen's mom may have had something to do with it. This theory is based off the fact that Kristen and her mother both had started acting extremely strange after Jennifer's disappearance. Her family could just not get over the fact that Kristen all of a sudden wants nothing to do with them, was very shut down, and would ignore them when she saw them. Jennifer's little sister stated that when she was 11 years old, not long after Jennifer went missing, she went over to Kristen's home to talk to her about what happened to her sister. Jennifer's little sister said that she was not scared at all to go over there and talk to Kristen even though she was 11 years old because Kristen was only two years older than her and she said as time went on this rage just built up inside of her over her sister's disappearance and she was determined to find out what happened to her. She goes on to say that when she gets over to Kristen's home, Kristen was sitting in the backyard and she approaches her at the picnic bench that she had been sitting at. She starts questioning her about what happened to Jennifer and was begging her to give her any possible answers and to just open up and talk to her. 
She said she sat there for over an hour trying to talk to Kristen, but Kristen did not say a single word and did not answer any of her questions. She said that Kristen sat there with her head in her arms the entire time and didn't say a single word. This broke her little sister because, again, this was somebody who was so close to Jennifer and Jennifer's family, and now that she was gone, she was acting so cold. Jennifer's little sister was not the only one within their family to go over to Kristen's home to talk to her and her mother, but every time somebody would go over there, they were pretty much told to leave and the door was slammed in their face. This just seemed so suspicious to her family and it made them feel like they were guilty and that they knew what happened that night. Several years after Jennifer's disappearance, Kristen and her mother did an interview with a local news station there and they were questioned about Jennifer and if they had any information. Kristen's mother said that Jennifer did come to their house on the night of the 14th and it was kind of late and when Kristen's mother answered the door she said that Jennifer smelled like alcohol so she told Jennifer that she was not allowed to hang out with Kristen and that Kristen was in bed for the night to go to school tomorrow and that she needed to turn around and leave their home and she says that was the very last time that she ever saw her. But Jennifer's family starts to poke holes in this story because, one, Kristen had just been with Jennifer at that party, so how did Kristen leave the party so quickly, make it home, and get in bed? Secondly, it made no sense to her family that Kristen's mom turned her away for smelling like alcohol because Kristen's mom was known to party with Kristen and Jennifer and all of their friends. They said that the first time that Jennifer had ever smoked a joint, it was with Kristen's mom, so it just didn't make sense to them that her mom would be so okay with partying with them and doing drugs with them but when Jennifer shows up on her front doorstep smelling like alcohol she was so offended by it and tells her that she needs to leave her home makes no sense the last theory that was talked about in Jennifer's disappearance is that she may have gotten into a car with a complete stranger there's witnesses that said on the night of the 14th they had seen Jennifer getting into a car with an unknown male her family did say that Jennifer did not know a stranger and that she was friends with everybody and that she looked at the good in everyone but her family just did not believe this theory at all despite Jennifer being a social girl not knowing a stranger they knew that Jennifer would not just get into a car with a complete stranger and again there was absolutely no physical evidence to be able to back up this theory. What is so sad in Jennifer's case is that law enforcement did not even get involved for several years because they just kept saying that Jennifer was a runaway teenager. Had law enforcement got involved much sooner, this case may have already been solved. The current sergeant who is over Jennifer's case did a short interview where he stated that Jennifer's case was handed poorly and that it has been handed off to several different people. He says the reasons that it has been handed off is because of people leaving law enforcement, people promoting to different jobs, or just because they wanted off the case. Because of this, there has never been a real solid investigation done. He says that he is now the one in charge of Jennifer's case and that he plans to see it through to the end to bring Jennifer home and to be able to give her family closure. Jennifer Lynn Fay went missing on November 14, 1989 from Brockton, Massachusetts. She was born on December 25, 1972. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she stands at 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighed approximately 95 pounds at the time of her disappearance.
If you have any information about the disappearance of Jennifer Lynn Fay, you are encouraged to call the Brockton, Massachusetts Police Department at 508-941-0202. Crimeholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram where I will have pictures of Jennifer posted. Or if you would like, you can follow me personally at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore on Instagram. Criminalics, as always, be aware and take care. Music.